Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right. Good evening. Let's try that again. Good evening. Oh, it's so good to see. Man, you're so far away. Whoa. We got like the Red Sea right here. All right. Um, I missed all of you last week. How many of you missed youth group last week? It's so depressing. I mean, the thing is, I would have been gone anyway. My wife and I, we went to Guatemala with Sophia Pacquiam. Where's Sophia Pacquiam at? She's in here somewhere. There she is. We were in Guatemala last week getting to hang out with some uh, missionary friends, but right before I leave, I'm like getting word, hey, people need to quarantine. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really depressing. Um, but it made coming to be with you tonight all of the more exciting. Um, so go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, it's exciting to see you. Yes, it is exciting to see you. Um, this is what I want you to do. If you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We are going to start a new series this evening over the next seven weeks called This is the Way. Everyone say, this is the way. Then say, I have spoken. Did anybody get the reference? All my Star Wars people in here. I love you. I love you. We did not, we were not thinking, oh, Mandalorian, like, let's go. This is the way. But this is the way. And this is what we're going to do over the next seven weeks. We're going to unpack and lean into three wisdom literature books in the Old Testament, specifically Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Now, there's a couple different things that like surround wisdom literature. Like what, what is it when we come to these books? When we read the Old Testament, you have, you have very like poetic language. We have the Psalms, we have Song of Solomon, we have Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes, we have Job. And it's like, what what is this? If we're reading the Old Testament, sometimes we can, we can go like, okay, how does this compare to the rest of the writings? It's not the Pentateuch, right? Or it's not the Torah. It's not Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, okay? This is not necessarily giving the narrative of the people of God, of Israel, of the patriarchs. This isn't the prophets. We're not, we're not Jeremiah or Ezekiel. We're not, we're not kind of in the moments of like the, the people speaking to Israel. But what we do have here is very unique literature in the Old Testament that speaks to a couple things about the way we live life. Now, there are three things specifically that wisdom literature does for us. I'm gonna put these on the screen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. Wisdom literature accomplishes these three things for us. It first helps us to see God's world more clearly. So if we know the story of Scripture, if you're new to church tonight, we know the story that in Genesis... We have Genesis 1 and 2, God creating the world. And then in Genesis 3, everything kind of unravels in that sin enters the world and humanity and all of creation is separated from the creator. And so what we have is a world of order in Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 3, the universe kind of just breaks into chaos. And what wisdom literature in the Old Testament does is it gives us a form of order in God's world. Are you with me? It helps us to see God's world more correctly. But it's not the only thing that it does. It enables us to explore how to live well 
in God's world. We're gonna lean into this over the next five weeks. We're gonna spend the first five weeks in Proverbs and we're gonna talk about a plethora of different topics. We're gonna talk to you about how to manage and handle and look at money. We're gonna talk about how to look at friendships and relationships. We're gonna look at uh, what does it look like to walk in sexual integrity. We're gonna look at uh, what does it look like to use our words with wisdom. We're gonna look at all of these sorts of things, but what wisdom literature does, Ecclesiastes, Job, the Proverbs, is it teaches us how to live well in God's world, which informs the third. It reveals to us that we live in a moral universe. This one's huge. Because we have the question circling all around culture right now saying like, what is truth? Is there an actual right? And is there an actual wrong? And the Christian faith believes that, wait a minute, we have a God who created this world. And in fact, who God is informs what is right and what is wrong. It's not a free for all. It's not a, it's not a hey, live your own truth. Though that seems to be the baseline like gospel of the day, just do what's best for you and, and don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Our faith is a faith that says, no, no, no. Our God informs and speaks to the way that we live our lives. So we live in a moral, moral universe where there is rights and there is wrong and wisdom literature speaks to that in the Old Testament. So I wanna set the table for that before we enter into the next seven weeks. Now over the First five weeks, we're gonna enter into the book of Proverbs. And tonight I wanna to talk to you about how God is wise. Everyone say, God is wise. God is wise. He is literal wisdom defined. Now the book of Proverbs, this was written predominantly uh, by um, Solomon, David's son, right? And so we know that this guy seems to be one of the wisest men who ever lived. But I wanna kind of address what Proverbs is and maybe more importantly, what Proverbs isn't. Many times we go to Proverbs and we open it up and we see it as the authoritative word of God and we almost see Proverbs as if they're like promises or formulas. Two plus two equals four. If you do this and you do this, then it should equate to this. And this is sometimes how we'll approach Proverbs and I don't want you to approach Proverbs as if it's promises, as if this is the way things are going to happen. It's wisdom literature. It's, it's something that gives us a, a, a wisdom or a way to look at the world that will help us look at the world well and live well in the world. Let me give you an example. So we'll have Proverbs 22. We won't put this on the screen. Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they shall not depart from it. Now, here's the thing. Parents can do everything they can to raise up a child in the way that they should go, but many a times we have cases where ch children what? Depart from it. <laughs> they don't do what they're supposed to do. Some of you in here are like, yeah, that's me, right? <laughs> like, like, but a parent's sitting there going, wait, no, no, I did everything that I was supposed to do, but it still didn't work out. And so what I want you to pay attention to is this. What Proverbs is saying is that it's, it's not ignoring the fact that we still live in a world where it's like good things happen to bad people, where we still see people who are incredible mothers or fathers or children who die from cancer or somebody walks in to what, so we, we had a man on this campus, but 15 years ago, walk on with a gun and kill two girls in our parking lot right over here. And something like that happens. And we ask the question, like, why does God allow that to happen? And when we read the book of Proverbs, sometimes it feels like, Solomon wasn't living in the real world. 
And it's like, yeah, he's like saying all of this, that this is how your life will go well. It's, it's not ignoring the fact that bad things happen in the world. And that's why we have the books of Ecclesiastes and Job, where we have Ecclesiastes going, like, there are times and there are seasons for all things in life. Like, what is the meaning to life? We'll get to that at the end of the series. And we have the life of Job where a, an immense amount of suffering takes place. And then we have this conversation between God and, and Satan. And, and, and then we have like Job getting stripped of everything and then conversation between Job and his friends and then Job and God and the Senate. And it's like, wait a minute, some of this doesn't add up. Many a times we see in life two plus two does not equal four. And it's actually not hard to see that in our world right now. When we get to those books, we're gonna address those questions. But for Proverbs, what he's saying is, I'm not ignoring that bad things happen, but there is a way to live in God's world that generally, everyone say generally, generally produces more fruit than if you lived another way. Are you with me? So what, what Solomon is going after here is he's going, there is a way in which we can steward our relationships, our marriages, our finances, our sexual integrity, our mission, the work that God has called us to, the walk of faith. There is a way we can live this life that actually does it well in God's world. So we're gonna hit Proverbs, words of wisdom. We're gonna hit Ecclesiastes, the meaning of life. And we're gonna hit Job, the question of suffering. But we're gonna open up tonight in the book of Proverbs. I'm gonna read the first seven verses here. In Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, we'll pray and we'll be off to the races. This is what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Listen here. The fear of the Lord. Everyone say fear of the Lord. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to underline that phrase. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which we all God's people said. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you. And let us saying those words never get old. We love you. We love you. You are worthy of our praise. I'm, I'm so encouraged by uh, the words we just heard in worship, even if we are silent, the rocks, they will cry out. But you did not come to save the rocks. You came to save us. And you are worthy of a response from us to that saving work. And so what can we say, but we love you. God, we thank you that you did not abandon your creation to figure things out on our own. You have not left us to piece together the puzzle. You have not left us to figure out the equation. But you came in the form of a baby in a manger and you showed us the way. 
You showed us the way to live the life that you have fearfully and wonderfully made for us. You came to show us what it looks like to be your people. So Lord, I pray for every young man and every young woman in this room, including myself, that you would shape the way that we see you, that we behold you. You would shape the way that we love you. You would shape the way that we worship you. You would shape the way that we praise you. You would shape the way that we walk with you. As we finish out this school year in 2021, God, you are so wise and you are the only one in which we can receive and know wisdom. And so Father, I pray that you would do that here this evening with all of us. Give us minds to understand, eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. And if you agree with that, can you say amen? Amen. Verse seven, let's put it up there again. The fear of the Lord, everyone say fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. One thing is really clear from this verse and really clear from scripture as we're gonna see for a second, in a second. If we want to know what wisdom is, if we wanna know what knowledge is, if we want to learn how to live well in God's world, we have to learn to do one thing, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Now here's the thing, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, there's confusion around this statement. When we hear fear in our language, in the English language, it's, it's usually synonymous, synonymously met with the word terror. We're afraid of something. We're, we're, we're terrified of the Lord. We are scared of the Lord. But the psalmist, and really scripture as a whole, that's not what it intends for us to mean when we see this phrase, fear of the Lord. Let me see, show you where else we see this throughout scripture and a couple other places. Psalm 33, eight, it says this, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 34, nine, it says this, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have what? No lack. Deuteronomy 10, 12, we're giving the law to Israel now. The author says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shift over to the New Testament and the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, he says this, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in what? The fear of God, the fear of the Lord. What is scripture talking about? What is the psalmist talking about? What is Solomon talking about? What is, what is uh, the apostle Paul talking about? What is Moses talking about when they're saying fear of the Lord? It's not this idea of being terrified of God. It's this idea of seeing God rightly for who he is. If we are going to fear the Lord, what the, the author of Proverbs is saying here, what the psalmist is saying is if you're going to fear God, you have to learn to see God for who he is and who God is needs to have right standing in your life. What this means is that our lives cannot be oriented around ourselves. This is a tough one. 
We cannot be the center of our own universe. We cannot be the center of our own story. Our families cannot be the center of our own universe. Our, our friends, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, your careers one day. Money cannot be at the center of your universe. The whole reason we talk about scripture is the grand redemptive narrative. Like this book is one story. One story being told to humanity about a God who created his people, a God who redeems his people, and a God who is coming one day again in glory to judge the living and the dead. One story, what that means is that there's one main character, one person in which all of creation has to orient their lives around, and it's God himself. And when we fear the Lord, what the psalmist is saying, what Solomon is saying, when we do this correctly, when we orient our lives around God, when he's the center of our story, when everything that we are about is him, when all the glory that we work for goes to him, we fear God. Are you with me? It's God taking his rightful place as creator, alpha, omega, beginning and end, preeminent king, the God overall. That's fearing the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament, this is the invitation of the gospel, that we fear God and that we put him where he belongs, as king, as Lord, as the one we submit our lives to, as the one we must realize defines what is right, what is wrong, as the one who defines what is good, what is evil, as the one who defines what is holy, what is unholy, as the one who defines what is righteous, what is unrighteous. Only God gets to do those things. Are you with me? And when we understand that, but more importantly, when we believe that, when we submit our lives to that, what Solomon is saying is that's the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of wisdom. Now, this word wisdom in Hebrew is a, li a little bit different than what we understand in English. In English, usually when we say wisdom, we kind of equate it to this word knowledge. You know what truth is. But the word in Hebrew is hakmah, and it means a skilled craft or applied knowledge, which means that wisdom cannot be separated from the practice of doing what you're told. Are you with me? So in the Hebrew mind, they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you have wisdom, that means you've taken what you have learned either from scripture, you've taken what you've learned by those you kind of submit your life to, and you've put it into practice. You're actually living it out. And this is actually what we see with God himself. God doesn't just tell us what is good. He shows us what is good, primarily in himself. Are you with me? So there's three things that I wanna to talk to you about tonight that I think are kind of like our kickstarters for how do we fear the Lord? How do we begin to look at God for who he is? How do, we, how do we put God in his proper place in our life so that everything in our life, our school, our families, our relationship, our money, all that we have, all that we do orients itself around who he is rather than who we are? First thing that I wanna say about this is one, the fear of the Lord has to begin with humility. Humility. How many people in here have ever done the Manitou incline before? Give me a hand. 
Oh yes, glory, you know. You know what it's like to go through, get to heaven and go through hell to get there. You know what I mean? Like when I was, uh, when I was in high school, as a freshman, I did the incline for the first time and I had good friends. Let me tell you why I had good friends. Because as I was heading to do the incline for the first time, I was with friends who had done it before and they informed me about this aspect of the incline that's really, really important to know. And that is that about two thirds of the way up, there's what we call a false summit. So don't get your hopes up that as you are going up and you think the end is right there, that right as you get over the end, you look up and you still got quite a ways to go. They say, don't do it. Just keep going and have in your mind that that's not the end. That's not the end. That's not the end. So the first time I did the incline, I had that in mind. It was great. I really, really enjoyed doing it. And I did it several more times following that. My sophomore year, for, or summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I was going with my older sister who just graduated high school to hike the incline. And she was bringing her boyfriend, Joey, for the first time. Now, Joey, Joey was a great guy. Sorry, Joey. This, I'm about to taint your name. I'm about to taint your name. Joey, jo, Joey was a character. Joey was a football player at Sand Creek. He's a pretty bodacious guy. Thought he was really strong. And we invited him to do the incline. He was like, Psh, yeah, no big deal. I do football workouts all the time. I was like, oh, great. All right. So we go to pick him up, 4 a.m., 4 a.m. to go do the incline with us. And we pull in front of his house. And Joey walks out the front door with a maroon polo. And it wasn't even an athletic polo. It was like a TCA uniform polo, <laughs> right? Walks out, jeans and brown leather shoes. And I get out and I go, Joey, you know we're going to do the incline, right? And he was like, yeah, it's gonna be easy. I said, have you ever done the incline? He goes, no, but it's gonna be easy. I had my best friend Harrison with me in the car. We both just giggled. And we thought, should we be good friends? Or would I love to see my sister's boyfriend suffer? <laughs> easy decision. <laughs> like, like easy decision. So, so he hops in the car, we're on our way. And he's talking about how good he is at, at exercising, how fit he is. And me and my buddy Harrison are just sitting in the back, just giggling. It's 4 a.m. We get to the trailhead. We all get up and you know, like you, you, this is like, it's like the pregame. You, you put your music in, you're doing the stretches right at the bottom of the incline. And we're like, all right, we're gonna start. We'll all just meet at the top. We'll wait, we'll get up there. He goes, okay, we begin. And we, me, me and Harrison make it about 10 steps in and he calls to us and we turn around and we're like, what's up? And he goes, you guys are gonna walk this? <laughs> Thank you, Prem. <laughs> and, and we were like, yeah, is there another option? And he goes, why don't you run it? <laughs> we said, be our guest. <laughs> sure enough, this boy in his maroon polo, long jeans and leather shoes begins to jog up the incline. And we took a moment and just watched. Now, if you've ever done the incline before, you know, like you begin and it's, it's not even like a hundred yards in, there's that sign up to the right. Right, that, that's, it's saying what it is. <laughs> and so we start, put our heads down, start walking. I kid you not, it's like 45 seconds later. We stop and he's, he's standing by the sign, wheezing. And we're like, Britt, are you gonna run? And he goes, I'm waiting for your sister. 
I said, oh, okay. <laughs> you wait for her. Do your thing. We make it up to the top of the incline. We wait five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And my older sister makes it to the top of the incline. <laughs> and we're like, where's Joey? <laughs> and she's like, she's like, I don't know. I just left him behind. And I was like, you're a great girlfriend. <laughs> Hear me, ladies. You're a good girlfriend. If you can leave your boyfriend behind on the incline, do it every time. Every time, right? So we wait 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes. At this point, I'm looking at my sister and I'm going, he is not the one. <laughs> he is not like, it's time to cut this boy loose. We waited 40 minutes and decided we're gonna head back down. So we start going down the incline and we're passing people. We're asking, did you see a guy with a maroon polo, jeans and brown shoes? They're like, nope. I'm like, all right, keep going. Make it all the way down to the bottom of the incline. Joey's nowhere to be found. We make it back to the car and Joey is laying on the hood of the car, looking up to the sky. And we go, bro, what happened? And he goes, oh, my nose started bleeding. <laughs> I just was like, that's a bummer. <laughs> I was like, when did you turn around? He goes, somewhere along the way. <laughs> I was like, Okay, so we get in the car, we go to Chick-fil-A, the morning gets all better. Now here's the thing, this is the point of the story. You are out of your ever-loving mind if you choose to show up at the incline with a polo, long jeans, and brown shoes. Why? Because you are not looking at the incline in the way that the incline should be looked at. Are you with me? The way you must begin the incline is an ounce of humility. I'm here just to make it as far as I can, do the best that I can, and that's the only way that I'm going to accomplish this task. The fear of the Lord has to begin with realizing who we are in light of who God is. Are you with me? If we are going to fear the Lord, we have to come to terms with this reality really, really quick. He is God. We are not. He is God. We are not. He is the one who created your life. He is the one who sees the whole of your life. He is the one that knit your life together. He knows what your tomorrow looks like. He knows what your yesterday looked like. He knew all the areas in your life in which you would fail. And yet, he chose to send his son to die for you anyway. And he looked at your life and knows exactly the plan that he has for your life. And until you can submit to the fact that he is that person, you will never learn how to fear the Lord. You will never learn how to orient your life around who God is. And this is the first sin that we see take place in the garden. There's a suspicion that God is not who God says he is in the mind of Adam and Eve. And this is why they take of the fruit. God can't actually be a good God who has the best in mind for me. So what must I do? Take life into my own hands. And what comes as a product of that? Sin, brokenness, 
and chaos. The fear of the Lord must begin with humility. But it doesn't end there. Number two is that the fear of the Lord is cultivated in community. Everyone say community. I want you to look at this, Proverbs 13, 20. Solomon, he says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. The means by which God invites us to orient our life around him is always, hear me, always in the context of community. In other words, if you're following Jesus alone, you are not learning to follow Jesus at all. If you're following Jesus alone, you are not learning to follow Jesus at all. The Apostle Paul takes this language to an even deeper extent in the New Testament. I want you to see here, Romans 12, four through five. He says this, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what Paul wants us to see is this. If you're followers of Jesus, if you're going to be people who fear the Lord, you have to understand that God created you to be a part of the body of Christ. So in other words, you are not just members of Christ as somebody who fears the Lord and follows Jesus, but you're in fact members of one another. So if you're going to live a life that fears God and puts God at the center, you better get good at doing life with other people. You better get good at learning to walk alongside those who are healthy and whole and those who are broken and hurting and everything in between. The fear of the Lord is cultivated in community. He who walks with the wise grows what? Wise. In other words, if we are going to learn what it means to put Jesus at the center of our lives, if we are going to learn what it means to see God for who he truly is, we're gonna have to learn to do it with one another. With one another. And this is why this message is important, brothers and sisters, because the message of this day is pushing and pushing and pushing you towards independence. Everything in your life is about working towards you becoming self-sufficient. Like think about the way we even look at money in our world today. Like the idea that you're gonna graduate high school, you might go to college, you're gonna get a job, and then if you're wise with your money, you, you're gonna start saving for retirement so that when you hit the old age where you can't work, you don't have to depend on anybody. You just do life on your own. And everything about like what our society pushes is do you, do you, do you, do it on your own, figure it out for yourself, live your own truth, like, like be your own person. It's all about individuality. And when we read the scriptures, that's just not the invitation of the gospel. It said, I would look at you and you would look at me and we would look at our city, we'd look at our community and realize that God has not invited us to do this thing called life alone. But in fact, we are at our best and we are actually growing in wisdom when we put each other in our lives and we see ourselves as the body of Christ. 
members of one another. And this is what happens when we do that. Look at here in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He's saying, when we're doing this right, your joys become my joys. When we're doing this right, your pain becomes my pain. And by default, what does that mean? That if we're doing this right and we're in pain, then we're not in pain alone. You wanna know why El Paso County has such a high teen suicide rate? We've bought into the lie that our pain is our own. That we are to handle, that you are to handle your pain in and of yourself, deal with it in secret, and everything in public needs to be whole. It's not the invitation of the gospel. Paul goes, no, no, no. When one suffers, when one hurts, when one is down, when one's parents are getting divorced, when, when one has lost a sibling, when a family is going through crisis, when finances are scarce, it becomes the pain of the body to bear it together. You know, when my arm gets hurt, my body feels it. We're members of a body with one another. The fear of the Lord is cultivated not in isolation, but in community. And finally, this one's important. I want you to catch it. The fear of the Lord is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Here is the temptation of Proverbs. And I wanna deal with it right out the gate before we enter into all this wisdom literature. That you would come here and we would talk about embracing a life of humility and that we would talk about orienting our life in community and we'll talk about how to manage and look at your money and generosity and stewardship and then we're gonna teach you how to look at your, your sexual integrity and the way that God has called you to honor him and those around you with your body and that you're gonna, we're gonna look at the way that we engage with the people around us, our family, our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our relationships. Or we're, gonna, we're gonna look at the way that we use our words and our tongue to speak life or speak death and we're gonna do all these things. And here's the temptation, that you would walk out of here and your mind would be on how you change your behavior. That you would walk out of here and go, this is how you need to put your life together. This is how you need to fix your life. And you need to understand that the fear of the Lord, God being himself, where he is supposed to be, is fulfilled in one person and one person alone. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. We will only ever fear the Lord if we receive Jesus to be who Jesus is. I want you to notice something here. Look at here, Philippians chapter two, verse five. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's this humility piece. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
I want you to hear the gospel. God made a way for you to fear him. He made a way for you to see him for who he actually is. When humanity's asking the question, God, what are you like? Who are you? God answers with the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm like this. I'm a God who gets off his throne. And instead of having you figure your life out, I'm gonna be a God who gets on my hands and knees and I'm gonna show you what it looks like to serve. I'm gonna show you what it looks like to lay down your life. So then when it comes to this moment where you go, how do I fear the Lord? How do I follow Jesus? The answer will begin with receiving Jesus, not performing for him. If there's anything that you grasp over the next seven weeks, I hope it's not how to manage your money well. I hope it's not how to be humble. I hope it's not how to live with sexual integrity. I hope it's not how to have good friends. I hope it's not how to handle your words wisely, although those things are awesome. I hope it's that you would see Jesus as good news for your life. That the only way you will ever have the ability to fear the Lord is because you realize Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again for you that you would receive, not earn. This is what Jesus does. He looks at humanity with our fists like this, saying, let us take control of our own life. Let me show you how I'm God. Let me show you how I can do it on my own. And we see how it makes us weary. We see how it brings division among us as humanity. We see how it can very easily separate a Democrat and a Republican. We see how it can very easily separate those of different denominational beliefs. We see how us taking hold of our own life can cause chaos. But what Jesus does is he says, let me show you how to live like this. With your life emptied for the God of the universe. And let me show you what it'll do for the world around you. Instead of bringing about death, it breeds life, generosity, intimacy, stewardship, friendship, wisdom. Can you stand with me? Ephesians 5.1, the Apostle Paul, he says this, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. I love this language Paul uses, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How are we imitators of Christ? Or how do we fear the Lord? 
It's going to have to start with surrender here. Saying, Jesus, you are God, and I am not. And so this is what I want to invite you to do. If you feel comfortable with it, if you find a spot, get on your knees. For me, that seems to be the most accurate posture of surrender. It's me saying, I'm, I'm going to strive no more. I'm not going to try to move forward in my own strength anymore. Instead, I'm going to trust that you are the God who you say you are and that the gospel means you work on my behalf, O oh Lord. And when I receive that, you work in and through me. And so it's this posture of surrender. Therefore, be imitators of God. Walk in love. Christ has loved us. And what does that do? It creates a fragrant offering to the Lord. It's a sacrifice to God. In other words, what it does is it's us fearing him. And so this is what I want you to do. Scott, can we bring down the lights? This is gonna feel really weird, but I want you to do it. I want you to clench your fists. Clench your fists. And just, just as an act this evening, it's beginning with humility. You can pray this prayer that we pray all the time. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, I need you. And I just want you to pray it over and over and over again. Pray it 50 times. And over the course of those 50 times, I just want you to slowly release your fists and open your hands and just invite God to show you who he is. Invite God to help you fear him. Invite God to help you. As, as John says in, in John 3.30, to decrease, for him to help you decrease, for him to help you un, or, or release all the things in your life that you're wanting to do your way and instead have him increase. And instead, <laughs> let him put the life of Jesus before you behind you, inside you. Let it shape the way that you are thinking about the difficult situations in your life. And instead of going, what am I supposed to do? Let the question lead, God, what would you have me do? Instead of going, how am I supposed to handle this scenario, deal with this friendship, or, or, or think about my parents? Let it be led, God. Show me, show me. I release the way I wanna do this life to you. And let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.